listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thank you for joining me on the show. I'm excited about our guest and our topic today. Chris Coca is an advisor to organizations in the areas of sales. He's the president of Strategic Sales Solutions in Frederick, Maryland, and he has over 20 years of sales leadership experience across multiple industries for Fortune 500 and mid-sized companies. He's also a licensed sales acceleration advisor, and he works with companies to identify where their sales challenges are and really to help them build a sales playbook. Now, you're in luck today because our topic is the sales playbook, what it is and why you need it. And Chris kind of pulls the curtain back and he shares some specific action steps that can help you develop this for your organization. If you're in B2B sales, if you're in professional services, if you're in any sort of rainmaking capacity, you should listen to this because it's going to help you to close more sales and to identify what that process is. And I like the way he breaks it all down for us today. Make sure you connect with him. Go to the show notes and connect with Chris. I put all of his contact information there. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening. And now here's my conversation with Chris Coca. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Our special guest today is Chris Coca, and our topic is the sales playbook. What is it and why you need it? Chris, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me, Scott. And so I want to get right into it. The sales playbook, that sounds interesting to me. It sounds like it's something that I need. What is that? How would you put some definitions around that? I think the simple definition, Scott, is it's your sales system or your company's sales system to be able to operate and scale your business, to be able to drive consistency in your business development and sales uh, function. And it really is three simple elements, Scott. It is your sales strategy. It's your sales stories or messaging, however you broadcast your brand out into the world. And then it's your sales process. It's those three elements that make up a sales playbook. Okay, great. I want to dig into those. But first, let me back up when you said drive consistency in business development functions. That's something that I would like to say that I have, but I kind of don't. It's a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit everywhere at random arbitrary times. And I don't have any consistency. And I'd be willing to bet that every listener can say that too. Why do you think that's important? And is that something that you've seen with other sales type and BD type organizations before? Yeah, there, there's two ends of that, Scott. If if you are a solopreneur or somebody that does business development like you do and does the work, then you only have so many hours in the week to do business development, right? You're you're yeah. very limited on what you can do and when you can do it. You've got to be really, really efficient with that time so that you can better serve your clients and do all the rest of the work that you want to do. Yeah. So a sales playbook will help you be more efficient with however many hours a week you have for okay. business development. But let's say, Scott, that you're an owner of a company, a, yep. you know, a big law firm or professional services firm, and you've got salespeople. Well, you've got to make sure that all of those people are operating consistently day in, day out, week in, week out to drive your business. Right? Yeah, right, they, right. They, need to, they need to be executing consistently. The message needs to be consistent. I mean, how would you like it if you had four salespeople in your firm? 
and they were all giving different messages to clients and prospects. Every time, every time there was a discussion, it was a little bit different in terms of how they talked about your business, how they talked about your value. You just can't have that. You've got to have consistency in, in order to scale your business. And let me ask you this, in organizations that you've worked with, if we looked at a pie chart, I mean, because this one thing you're talking about, about consistency, I think kind of, you know, that's interesting to me just because when you have that, you've got execution because you've got habits, you've got rhythms, and those carry you forward. If we're, if we're looking at a pie chart, of organizations that you've worked with and consulted to and coached, how many of those do you think would have problems with no consistency when they when they started working with you? I'd say the vast, vast majority, 80, 90% plus. Yeah, okay, okay, interesting, interesting. Let me ask you this, kind of before we go into the sales system, what are some other attributes of organizations that you think really need to gear up and look at a system like we're about to go into? What would be some of the challenges or I would say indications that they lack consistency in their execution? Well, I think the first thing would be their their pipeline of opportunities. Like we all have different ways of measuring the sales pipeline that you have in any organization. Most, Scott, have a CRM. I don't know if you have a CRM. I use a CRM. Most professional services firms use one. So you can easily understand how consistent you are by looking at what's in that CRM, how the data is tracked, what's updated, the level of detail, the level of consistency, and and even your forecast. How many companies out there can accurately forecast their future business on their CRM? Very, very few. Yeah, right, right. And those are things that you think organizations can get to by following the sales playbook. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's got to be something that they develop organically within their organization. It's got to fit their business. It's got to fit their team. It's not a cookie cutter approach. There are principles that kind of apply to any organization, but it's got to be unique and customized to their business. Okay, good. So let's say that our listener is part of a large organization that has responsibility for business development and they've got a small team, whether it's associates or staff or maybe a sales team that they're working with, that person, part of a larger organization, do you think that the sales system can actually benefit someone that's part of a larger institution? Yeah, absolutely. It'll either help them from a leadership and management standpoint. Let's say that you are the partner in the firm that's in charge of business development. It's really going to make your life a lot better and easier if you've got that sales playbook that everybody's operating out of. Because then when you sit down and review performance, you've got something to measure against within oh, yeah? the playbook, yeah. right? You can easily calibrate. You could do performance management. You could do development of your team that way because you're all you're operating off of a, a consistent framework and a common language in your organization. Yeah. So wow. if if you're a leader, I think that you know it's critical. If you are somebody on the team that's selling, it's going to help you be better. It's going to help you win more business. It's going to help you be more efficient. It's going to help you make more money. If if your compensation is tied to how much business you bring in, then everybody wants to be better at that because everybody wants to maximize the amount of money that they make and and take care of their their family and and take care of their own personal goals. So I think a playbook would really help people be more successful and grow and be able to achieve their own goals. Yeah, good. Not a lot of downside. Let's dig in a little bit more. So you mentioned there's three different areas. There's sales strategy, sales story or messaging, and sales process. 
Out of those three, which do you think is the most important? I think sales strategy is always first because without the right sales strategy, your messaging is going to be inconsistent mm-hmm. and you're you're not going to be able to execute the right process. So the foundation, the first thing that I do with clients is help them build uh, repeatable and easily disseminated sales strategy okay. throughout their organization. Okay, good. And so when let's get a definition around that then. When you say a sales strategy, what does that mean? How would you define that? And maybe we can kind of look at different examples of sales strategies and their components. A sales strategy is basically how you're going to market and what your long-term goals are that tie to the way that you go to market. So it really starts with who's your ideal customer and or client. And, and my phrase that I use with clients is business guiding principles. So what's the lens that you're going to operate in, in the world of client prospects mm-hmm. that is going to navigate you to working with the people that you really want to work with mm-hmm. and not working with the people that are going to be inefficient or unprofitable for your business? Because we all have clients, we all have business that when we look back in hindsight, we say, well, why did we work with that client? Or why did we, why did we take on that project? And part of the, the issue is you don't have the right sales strategy. You don't have clarity in who you really should be working with. So it's guidance on who your ideal client is. And it's also guidance on what type of business you want. So it's not just who you want to work with, but it's how you want to work with them. Okay, you don't good. think about that, right? Because if you think about, wow, I've, I found an ideal client, it doesn't mean that the contract is going to be right. It doesn't mean that the terms are going to be right. It doesn't mean that the work is going to be right. It just means that you found somebody that you want to work with. So it's the combination of who and how together that kind of make up that ideal client profile and those guiding principles. Right. I think that's great. And from my own experience, I've tried different things within my legal niche of recruiting, big firms, medium-sized firms, even small firms, small boutiques. And even just this year, I gained real clarity. The types of clients we have about a dozen and a half firms that we work with, all Amlaw 100 and 200 big firms, but really we call it the super six. We've got six firms. Four of those are in the Amlaw 100, two of which are Amlaw 50, and then two of our six are Amlaw 200. And I decided not to work with small firms, not like they're bad or worse. It's just, it's a different neighborhood of people I got to get to know. And they, right. they never go from one neighborhood to the other neighborhood. So that's something that we've kind of done. Uh, how would you evaluate what I told you with you as a consultant? I, what do you think about that? I think it's excellent, Scott, because you now have targets, right? If you talk about that group of law firms, there are only so many of those that are going to fit that profile, right? Let's say that there are 500 of those or 200 of those, whatever the number is, that really helps define your targets. And once you define your targets, then you can start to hone your message to those targets. And you're not targeting the smaller firms that you really are not going to end up working with. So it really kind of makes your marketing more efficient, makes your message more efficient. And it really defines who you're going to serve, why you're going to serve them, and how you're going to go to market, basically, on, on a daily basis to try to attract those firms. Right. And let me ask you this, then. When I'm coming up with my sales playbook, is the way we're going to get the business, is that part of our sales strategy or is that part of our sales process? Uh, the execution of once you found the right client, 
prospects, once you've got your ideal client profile and you're in the process of building leads, mm-hmm. this, the, the handoff is from kind of clarifying where your leads are going to come from in your sales strategy. And then once those leads are found, now you're executing the sales process. Got so it. Okay. the sales process is simply the step from qualifying a lead through a proposal through a contract. It's Got it's it. all okay. it's those four or five common steps that a, a law firm or professional services firm would have. Okay, good, good. And then and then tell me a little bit about sales story or messaging. Tell me about a firm or an organization or an organization you've worked with that didn't have much clarity in that story. Uh, what was it like before you started working with them? What did you do to help them get to a good uh, story? And how has that story improved that organization's condition? Yeah, I've worked with a, a manufacturing and services firm that kind of serves the, the Baltimore and Washington, D.C. area. They work with hospitals. They work with schools. They work with government. They work with large entities. And they were guilty of what a lot of a lot of companies are guilty of and a lot of service providers are guilty of. They were pitching. They would get in front of a client and they would say, we've been in business for 60 years. We do the following 10 things. We can deliver X, Y, and Z to you. And it was a pitch, right? And that's how most salespeople or business development people operate. They pitch. They pitch, pitch, pitch on this is who we are. This is what we do. This is why you should work with us. And it, it just doesn't work. The, the old methodology of pitching, people tune that out, right? People are pitched to every day. I mean, think about how many messages you get a day on LinkedIn or you know through the internet or through social media. You're pitched to, you know, it's just incessant how much data comes at you. And it really isn't a good way to sell. So I had to work with them to tell them to stop pitching and to really build some compelling client stories that they could tell some similar clients, right? When you're in front of uh, a CFO or you're in front of a business owner, they want to hear a story about somebody similar to themselves, right? They want to be able to identify with what you do and how you do it, but they want to know, well, what's in it for me? Like, if I'm going to work with you, why would I want to work with you? And if they understand that you've worked with people just like them, to help transform their their business and their lives and get them the results that they're looking for, now you've got their attention, right? We're all condi- Scott. We're all conditioned to hear stories, you know, from a very early age. You know, our parents told us stories, and right. you know, we we all grew up with Disney and and all all of the great movies. That it's just storytelling, and it's about the you know, it's about kind of the transformation of a hero on their journey. Right. Why couldn't we tell that story about a client? Why couldn't we tell a really exciting, compelling story about a client's journey that you guided them through as a lawyer or that you guided them through as a professional services provider and got them to where they wanted to go? That is the sales story. And so working with this company, we just broke it down into all their buyer personas. Okay. And then we decided to write at least one really good story for each buyer persona. Oh, that's great. But then the key is it's really not meant to be emailed. It's not meant to be publicized. It's meant to be told. So we then had to train the team on how do you tell that story in a compelling way to move the sales process along to try to get to a proposal? Because typically you're going to tell that story 
you know, in the meeting that you're trying to, to uh, gather information to put the proposal together. In that discovery meeting, you're going to be able to tell that story, get feedback from the client on how they react to it and, and what they want in their own life, and then be able to use that story when you do the proposal. Because you've told them about this transformation. Why not tell the story again when you put the proposal together? That's great. And so when you talked about you had them break it down to buyer personas, give me some context on that. What does that mean? And what are examples of buyer personas? So a buyer persona is the person that has the authority to sign your contract. Got it. Okay. They are the ultimate buyer. We deal with a lot of gatekeepers in the sales world, Scott. We're dealing with somebody that cannot say yes to your deal, but they're doing all the legwork for the buyer. That's the right thing for the buyer to do. If I'm a buyer, I want a gatekeeper that's going to keep people away from me that I don't want to to buy from, right? I want them to screen out the, the the bad offerings out there in the market. So gatekeepers are great, and they're really essential in the sales process, but they're not the buyer. And therefore, they're not a buyer persona. So an example of in the medical world, we have practice administrators. They would be the gatekeeper, but the doctor group that owns that practice would be the buyer persona. So the doctor would be the buyer persona. Yeah. The practice administrator in, in a medical world would be a gatekeeper. In, in our world, the business owner would be the buyer persona. Or the VP of IT could be a buyer persona. A CFO could be a buyer persona. It could be an employee or it could be an owner, but it's somebody that ultimately can sign the contract. That's great. And so you kind of break down each persona, kind of get some characteristics of those persona and discuss intrinsic motivations that perhaps each persona might have unique to that type of person. And that's good because then the sales rep or whoever's doing the BD can understand, okay, for this type of person, this is what I need to do. This is a story I need to tell. And then a different story for each one. That's pretty much how you do that. Is that right? That is, yeah. And the buyer personas are also what you just described was accurate. And those buyer personas are part of the sales playbook. Got it. Okay, good, good. And then take me to that third part then, the process. What did we call that? We call that, the, yeah, the sales process. Is that right? The sales process, yes. And what what are examples or components within that sales process that we should keep top of mind as we're looking to go through building our sales playbook? The most common one is the first step in, in most of the sales processes that I do with companies is, is qualifying the lead. So we get a lot of leads, we get a lot of inbound, you know, referrals, we get web forms, we have people call call us directly. That's a lead, but it doesn't mean that the lead is qualified. You just have expressed interest at that point. So step one in most sales processes is qualifying the lead and trying to move that to a more formal stage in the sales process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the elements that you really need to understand is, how am I starting that process? Where are my leads coming from? Where should I be getting my leads? What do I need to do to qualify them? What information do I need? What questions do I need to ask? What information do I need to gather? And then what do really the most important thing is what do I need to do to move one step forward in the sales process? So what's the gate? What's the gatekeeper? And in my world, the gatekeeper for most companies is they are a fit for you. You can do what they want you to do. So they've expressed interest and you know, you can hypothetically work with them, but they have a project 
or a scope or something that they want that is at least somewhat defined. So they have a, a project, a timeline. They know when roughly they need what they need. And then they have a budget. And, you know, I've, I've heard on uh, your podcast and other podcasts that, you know, talking about budget can be, you know, a, this dirty thing that you don't want to talk money. And I, I could not disagree more. I couldn't yeah. disagree more with that because ultimately, if somebody doesn't have a budget to buy what you're selling, then you're really wasting your time at yeah. that point, right? Because it's no fault of their own. They may not be able to afford what you do. They may not be able to pay for the value that you provide, but it's really important early in the sales process to understand, do they have a need? Do they have a time? And do they have a budget? Yes. And, it, and once you know those three things, now you're ready to move forward to a more more formal sales meeting with them. That's great. That's great. So as we kind of bring things to a close, I really like the simplicity of this concept. I think it's something that people can hear, they can get their arms around, and they know that this is where I need to focus. If we could distill this into three action steps people can take as they get started building their sales playbook or revising that, what would those three action steps be? I think the first action step is to really take a step back and understand who you want to work with, define them in a very detailed level, and understand from that where your targets really are. So you've got to define, if you're going to expand your business, you've got to define where are my targets, who are the companies or the people that I really want to work with, and you got to document it. It's got to be in your CRM. It's got to be part of your marketing plan. So it's understanding who you want to work with and document your targets would be step one. Got it. Got it. And then put that in the CRM. And then put that in the CRM. And if you don't have a CRM, any client I work with, Scott, that doesn't have a CRM, part of my requirements of working with a client, if, if they've got any size business at all, is to get a CRM, even if it's a simple, easy to use Cheap CRM have a it's part of your system, right? You know, data is really, really important over time to understand where your business is coming from. And I'm not sure how you can do that without a CRM. Got it. Okay, good. And so then what's what's step two? I know there's a lot to that step one, but where would we go in terms of step two? So I think for step two, the the second thing that you would do would be then build out what your targeted revenue would be for, let's say for 2024, this is a great time to talk about that. Yeah, right. So start start to build out your plan for 2024 and understand tied to your sales strategy, where's my growth going to come from? How much base business do I have? How much new business do I need to get to my ultimate goal? And then where is that going to come from? What markets or verticals is it going to come from? What products or services is it going to come from? And then do I have the resources to go get that revenue? Because you may find that you've got a really big target to try to go get, but you don't have enough people selling in your organization to go accomplish yeah. that. So you you really need to understand not only what your target is, but what, what that pipeline equation is. How many leads do I need? Mm -hmm. How many proposals do I need? How many meetings do I need to have? I, I teach that to every client that I work with. And I call it the sales math or the pipeline math. Do you understand your pipeline equation to get to your number in 2024? And if you don't, you've got to break it down and figure out what those numbers and metrics are. 
Yeah, I think I think I'd like to have you back on the show talking about just that and kind of key performance indicators that tell us about the sales math. I think that might be another topic to have you back on because we could we could spend a lot of time talking about that. What's a third step that people should take to get started? I think the third step is go back to your CRM and rebuild your sales process and really define each step in the process and understand what has to happen to move forward. And don't move forward in your sales process if you're not executing the basics, like we talked about with uh, lead qualification. If you're not getting to a budget and you're not getting to a time frame, you're not qualifying the lead. So you've really got to hone in on that, document it. So it it should be a document that's part of your, your playbook. Then go back to your CRM as the very last piece of that third step and realign your CRM to your sales process. That's great. Because because many, many CRMs really don't reflect, you know, a sales process that can be executed, that's consistent, and that everybody really understands. So that, you know, make sure that your CRM is wired that way. That's great, Chris. And then you've given us a ton of value today. I'm curious, and I know our listening audience would be curious, tell us about your offerings, your services, the things that you'd like for people listening to know about you and how you can help them. Sure. So I work with B2B business owners, it could be professional services or law firms or manufacturers, any B2B vertical I can work with. And I basically work with them to build all of their sales infrastructure. So I start with that sales playbook, but I also do work around performance management, hiring salespeople, performance reviews, sales compensation, all all the fun things that go with the playbook. I do that work for companies that are, say, $2 million to up to $100 million in revenue. And I'm happy to help any company out there that needs that sales infrastructure uh, to help build that and build a playbook that they can really use and scale. Scott, for people in the audience that are seller doers, that are solopreneurs, that do all their own business development and do the work, I've taken the elements of the sales playbook that I do for bigger companies and distilled it down into a really easy to learn online class mm. that I teach. And it's four hours total. It's an hour a week. And at the end of the four weeks, a solopreneur can build their own sales playbook that they can oh, use great. for their own sales system. So I do that for the smaller companies and solopreneurs because they don't have access to building a big sales playbook. They don't have the resources to build a really big system, but they do have the resources to build their own sales playbook with a little help. That's great, Chris. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to put your information and your LinkedIn information on the show notes. So everybody listening, make sure you connect with Chris today. Go to the show notes, wherever you're listening to the podcast, connect with him directly and take advantage of the resources that he's talking about. And Chris, thank you for being on the show. And I definitely would like to have you back on here as a guest in the future. I'd be happy to come back. And I really appreciate you having me today, Scott. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.